Welcome to Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist. This is your host, Jenny Morrow, and I am crawling back with my tail between my legs asking for your forgiveness because it's been over two months since I put out an episode. So to all of you who have been so supportive and sent amazing feedback and who've asked if I'm coming back, to all of you, I want you to know that this really matters to me and I am so glad to be back. So even though I haven't been recording the last couple of months, I have been putting some things into place so that I will be able to keep moving forward with this project and make it a priority. And so, yeah, continue looking forward to future episodes. This is the podcast where you get to write in your questions about religious transition. And I've got some letters in the queue that I'm super excited to read and to talk about. But today's episode is going to be a little bit different. A few weeks ago, I was asked to speak at a secular Sunday gathering. And so some of you may have either been there or heard the live stream. It was up at the Cache Valley Oasis. And when I was asked to speak there, I was thinking, you know, what would I, what would I most want to share with a group of people? So I came up with a topic that feels really important to me in my own life personally, and also a topic that I watch a lot of clients struggle with and benefit from as we start to have conversations around this topic. So I've decided to make this podcast about that same topic that I chose to present on at Cash Valley Oasis. And so I'm going to talk today about the three secrets to having happy, healthy relationships, even when beliefs are different. And this is just such a huge topic Because even though this podcast is focused on religious transition, and we're going to talk about it in regards to religious transition, this is a topic that spans so many areas of life. There are so many different kinds of beliefs that we have, and our beliefs are like our operating system. They're the filters and the worldview through which we actually make our choices in life. And so being able to recognize that we even have beliefs Because sometimes we assume our beliefs are just reality. And it's not until we can even begin to see that the differences that we're experiencing in a relationship are often connected to this idea that we've had different life experiences. And therefore, the evidence that's in our realm of perspective is different than the evidence in someone else's realm of perspective. And it can cause a lot of friction in relationships. But what's really cool is that once we can start to explore beliefs in a productive, healthy way, then different beliefs can actually be really strengthening to each of us individually and to the relationship itself. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And then in the next episode, I will get back into reading some letters. So if you do have any questions, send your questions to exmormontherapist at gmail.com, and I will get you on the list. Okay, so let's get into these three secrets to having happy, healthy relationships, even when beliefs are different. Have you ever believed differently than someone you love? Have you ever felt afraid to share your beliefs or perspectives with someone you love? Have you ever felt angry or frustrated that you see things differently than someone you love? Have you ever believed that if you just saw things the same way, then everything would be okay? And I'm not just talking about different religious beliefs here or a religious belief and a secular belief. I'm actually also talking about beliefs about time, beliefs about money, beliefs about food, 
beliefs about relationships. Navigating differences in a loving relationship can feel very confusing because most of us were taught two ways to navigate differences. We were taught that when a difference came up, if it created an uncomfortable sensation or an uncomfortable emotion, we were taught to stuff that down. So one of the things we may have been taught is to pretend, deny, ignore that we were feeling any conflict around differences. So we might have been taught to be passive, to ignore, pretend, or hide differences. Or we were taught to be aggressive. Perhaps we learned that if somebody saw things differently, we should try to change them, convince them, get them to see our way, manipulate them, control them. And we can do that with intense emotion, judgment, violent words, violent actions. Maybe we were passive on the outside and aggressive on the inside in our own mind. A difference comes up. You pretend you're fine when it creates a discomfort. And on the inside, you're thinking something like, what's wrong with you? Can't you see this? Are you an idiot? So most of us were taught to either be passive or to be aggressive. And the reason most of us were taught this is, you know, mostly all that our parents knew or their parents knew. And that's because most of us are afraid of our emotions. We're afraid of the fear. We're afraid of the anger. We're afraid of the sadness that we feel around our differences. And this may not always be true. Maybe there's differences in certain areas that feel a little bit more neutral or safe. And so maybe there, are, maybe there have been times where um, we've been able to deal with differences pretty well. But if there's a certain area in your relationship where it just gets fiery, right? So I have couples come in and they say, we've never really fought before. And now we're, one of us is going through this religious transition and we're just fighting all the time. So kind of the idea that we, we knew how to deal with differences in these other areas. We knew how to deal with differences in our money life. And we knew how to deal with differences in our sexual life but we're not really sure how to deal with this religious difference. Other times there can be multiple areas of differences that we struggle with. Sometimes we struggle with differences with one person and then with another person, those differences, there might still be differences, but I don't know, they don't feel like such a struggle. You know, every relationship is unique. Every relationship has its own dynamics, but the idea is that any difference can bring up uncomfortable emotion. And if it's intense enough, most of us will either become passive or will become aggressive because the intensity of the emotions feels scary. And even as I was going through the different emotions that we can be scared of, our fear, our anger, our sadness, my, my body was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm scared of that. And it is getting easier. It is getting easier. But I will tell you, it is a practice. Just so few of us have very many tools or models for dealing with intense emotion. And so, you know, neither being passive or pretending or being aggressive and trying to control or manipulate makes us bad or wrong. But the problem is that they're usually not effective for getting us what we most want. They really do ultimately block us from the experience of real connection. So how do we experience real connection? What does it take? How does it happen? And what are the benefits? So I am going to attach a little handout on the website so you can go to www.askanexmormontherapist.com and I'm going to attach a little PDF with this episode and it's going to be a chart that I drew out years ago when I first started doing therapy. And I started doing therapy about 10 years ago. I think I drew this chart out about 8 years ago and I was just trying to make sense of what I was seeing with clients. At this point I'd sat in about 500 sessions and I thought, okay, what is it people are really wanting? 
Some people are coming in to work through depression, anxiety. Some are coming to work. Some are coming in to work through trauma, addictions. But ultimately, what is it everybody is wanting? Because you know, what would be different if the addiction were gone, or the depression were gone, or the anxiety were gone, or if they were getting along better with their spouse? And ultimately, what I ended up doing is I labeled it that ultimately, what it seemed like people were wanting was intimacy and connection with themselves, with who they really were. And with others, and a few years later, I ended up adding the word aliveness to the chart. That word comes from Joseph Campbell, who said in an interview, and I think I've already mentioned this on the podcast, but he said in an interview near the end of his life that his perspective after studying mythology, cultures, religions, and humanity for fifty years was that ultimately what we all wanted was an experience of aliveness, a rapturous engagement with life, so that who we are on the inside gets to be expressed and lived out on the outside. And there's two ways we go about seeking this experience of aliveness. The first and most natural way, which if you pull up the PDF chart, is on the right side. The first and most natural way is that we just take the risk to be alive, to be in life in our body as we are. We see this with babies because babies don't yet have the stories of fear and judgment to filter things through, and so they just are alive. When they're angry, you know. When they're sad, you know it. I mean, you may not always know what they need or want, but babies just are in life. They just are. They show up each day as they are on the inside, on the outside. And what starts to happen is along the way, we start to get feedback that certain parts of us are less desirable or acceptable than others. So what can start to happen is that we start to mask those parts of us, and this can start to happen at a very young age. Even my my own opinion is this can even start to happen pre-verbally. So before we're even communicating with language, we start to pick up subtle nuances that our caregivers are anxious, or they're closed off, or they're not doing okay, and and we on some level may start to shut down parts of ourselves. I mean, above all, we are wired to be loved and accepted by our caregivers and by our tribe. And so, if we start to feel like we're not going to be accepted or acceptable. And therefore, wouldn't get the care, the nourishment, the safety that we need. Then we will often shut down parts of ourselves and mask parts of ourselves in order to stay alive. And so, what can start to happen when any part of us is quote betrayed or rejected? And those are kind of strong words, but it can happen even on mild levels. And when any part of us is betrayed or rejected, we can start to move over to the left side of the chart. And sometimes. We're not even really being betrayed or rejected. We're just perceiving that maybe our caregiver or our sibling or our peer is just having a bad day. Something else is going on for them. They're not really sure how to speak about it or talk about it or process, even make sense of it in their own mind. And we just get the lashing out. But either way, whether it's really happening or whether we're just perceiving that some part of us is being betrayed or rejected, either way, we are likely to move over into the masking. And the masking is on the left side of the chart, and the masking can look like a lot of things. But this is where we get the passive responses: pretending, ignoring, denying, stuffing things down. It's also where we get more of our aggressive responses: trying to manipulate, control, rebel, act out, try to convince or change or persuade, anything like that. So those kinds of things are over on the masking side, and they can、um, ultimately lead to things like depression, anxiety, addictions. Any kind of coping mechanism, imbalances,、uh, 
undersleeping, oversleeping, undereating, overeating, numbing out with Facebook TV. And ultimately, the disadvantage of this, the masking side is that we start to feel isolated and alone. We feel disconnected from aliveness and from who we really want to be. And so the left side of the chart isn't bad. Again, it doesn't make us bad or wrong, but it's not effective for getting us what we really want. And so, you know, I've spent the last 10 years looking at how do we move back over to the right side of the chart? Because in order to really take risks, to really show up in life as we are, it has to be safe. And if it's not safe, our system will protect us. Our brain will shut down. It'll go into anxiety. It'll go into depression. It'll numb out. It'll start to forget things. I mean, whatever, right? Cravings will come up. Our system will find a way to cope and deal if it's not safe. But if it is safe, if we're able to show up in life and be who we are on the inside, on the outside, then what starts to happen is we start to become more connected with ourselves. We start to experience intimacy and connection with who we really are at a deeper and deeper level. We also start to experience it with another or with others at deeper and deeper levels. And as this happens, we start to experience a sense of greater vulnerability. And I'm talking about not bad vulnerability. Vulnerability is actually kind of a neutral word. We often look at it as bad, you know, being exposed. But the reality is being exposed is only bad if someone's going to hurt us, if it's not safe. But if it is safe, we're able to go deeper. We experience a sense of vulnerability, which is this experience of aliveness, this being able to show up in life as we are. And this whole chart is a reflection, not only of our relationship with other people, but it's also a reflection of our relationship with ourself. And when we're over on the right side of the chart, it's what feeds into that intimacy and connection and aliveness. And then we get to go a little deeper and it feeds back into that intimacy and connection and aliveness. And then we get to go a little deeper. So there's this continuing to expand and deepen our knowing of ourselves, of others, of life. And in my experience with clients and with myself, it is both a terrifying process and a really beautiful, fulfilling process. And so we're going to talk a little bit about these three secrets to happy, healthy relationships, even when beliefs are different. And so hopefully that picture maybe gives you some ideas. Maybe it resonates with you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you can relate in some way. Maybe not. But if it does relate in some way and it feels helpful, you know, take whatever feels helpful about it. And if you have more questions about it, feel free to write them in. So one of the things that we're looking at is how do we stay on the right side of the chart? And one piece that I forgot to add, which is funny because the first couple of years I had this chart, that was all the chart had. It didn't have this last piece that I'm going to mention here. And I thought, you know, really, what do people do if it's not safe to come back over to the right side? You know, right meaning like right-handed side of the chart. And if you look at the visual. And so the big piece that came forward a couple years after I'd started the chart was boundaries. Boundaries are in and of themselves a risk. They're a chosen risk to create a container of safety. And they allow us to stay on the right side of the chart. And so we'll look a little bit at boundaries as we're going through this as well. And again, because this chart is a reflection of our relationship with ourselves as well as our relationship with others, boundaries can be with other people, but they can also be within ourselves, within our own mind. So, you know, I'm always working with different boundaries depending on what my practices are. Um, At one point, my boundary with myself was I don't say unkind things about myself. And when I would notice myself going down that road, I would just practice stopping it 
I'd practice being very gentle and compassionate, not shaming it, and just acknowledging, oh, I'm not going down that road. It's not helpful for getting me where I want to go, so I'm not doing it. I'm happy to sit with myself and figure out what's really going on here, but I'm not saying unkind things about myself. So that was my boundary. That was a few years ago, one of the things I was working on. And now I have different boundaries I'm working on. But, you know, it's a continual process. Our boundaries move and grow and expand and contract as we're working on different things. So that is the chart. And hopefully it gives some idea about why connection matters and ultimately the benefits of living a life that includes this experience of risking safety, vulnerability, and aliveness. And so let's go ahead and get into the three secrets to having happy, healthy relationships, even with those who believe differently. Secret number one is to share impact. What does sharing impact mean? Sharing impact means sharing your experience as you're relating with someone else. So I'll say that one more time. Sharing impact means sharing your experience as you're relating to someone else. So I'm going to give you a few examples of what this might look like. I'm going to actually start by doing it in real time here. So I'm going to share with you what I'm experiencing as I'm relating with you, the listeners. Even though you're not listening to it yet, I'm still experiencing a sort of relating to you as I'm imagining your needs and your desires. And so what I'm experiencing as I'm relating to you on this podcast today is I keep noticing that I get like sensation up and down my body of tingles in my legs. I'm mostly feeling really excited and hopeful. I've been doing this long enough now that I don't have as many doubts and fears about sharing it as I once did, this idea and perspective. I've seen it be effective and work over and over. So mostly I'm really excited. I do get nervous when I think about what lies ahead in my own future. And I do get a little nervous when I imagine the possibilities that that might lie ahead, but also the intensity So there's a little bit of that that comes up and I can feel myself wanting to set the intention as that fear comes up that I become less and less afraid over time. The life becomes less and less scary. Because I'll tell you, when you start moving over from that left side of the chart over to the right, it will cause you to shake sometimes. That was my own experience. And maybe you'll go at a different pace that that's not so scary. I don't know. But there were just moments where in order to move back over, I made decisions to say something or communicate something or do something that was more me, but also put me into this place of exposure, of vulnerability. And (laughs) vulnerability is really scary for most of us. And so I can feel that as I'm talking to you too. And I feel really excited to keep learning. And I also know it does get better. I'm like, man, the things I can do today, I could not do 10 years ago. So sharing impact. That's part of what I'm experiencing right now as I'm talking to you. So that would be an example of sharing impact. Um, Another example would be, you know, recently I was in a conversation with someone I really care about, about money. And I noticed an intense experience of emotion. And my temptation was to stuff it down and be passive, which actually was kind of what I did initially for a moment. And... Then I noticed I was doing that and I went back to my practice. And so I was able to say, well, I'm noticing as we're having this conversation that I'm actually feeling some emotion rise. Even though the conversation wasn't about me in particular or my use of money in particular, it was triggering up my fears of being judged for the ways I may choose to use money in my life. 
and it was a fear really of my own self-judgment, okay? So another example, I was recently in a conversation with a dear friend and she was explaining to me how busy she has been. And this is a familiar conversation that I've had with this person many, many times. And I noticed as she was sharing that I began to feel suffocated. I noticed it was feeling harder to breathe. And as she was explaining to me how busy she was, part of me wanted to lash out. I just, I wanted to explain why being busy was so, quote, wrong. I wanted to judge what I assumed it was doing to her health and to her relationships. But since I was practicing these tools, I started by simply sharing impact. Okay, so I noticed myself feeling suffocated. I noticed myself wanting to lash out. And instead what I did is I said, I'm noticing that as you're talking to me about how busy you are, I'm starting to feel suffocated. It's feeling harder to breathe. So you can see here, what we're doing is we're moving from a passive or aggressive approach into a risk, into a vulnerability and saying, wow, is this is happening? As you're saying that, as you're doing that, here's what's happening for me. We're exposing more of ourselves. And in this moment, it was different. It was different than the old pattern where I would usually get passive and I'd usually pretend I was fine and maybe try to verbally comfort her or every once in a while I'd maybe get aggressive, kind of use my anger as a weapon to try to judge or convince this person to change, which was kind of what I was wanting to do that day. And, you know, we can vacillate back and forth between passivity and aggression. And again, just love yourself through that process if that's happening, because ultimately what we'll see on either side is either side's not effective right? We'll get passive. Pressure will build and finally we'll just blow up. It'll come out aggressive. That doesn't really work. So we stuff it back down and we go back to being passive. I mean, it can flip back and forth. But the interesting thing was in this situation when I did something different, so did she. So in this situation, she suddenly got a little shy and she acknowledged that her choice maybe was having some adverse consequences. So again, all I said was I'm noticing that as you're talking to me about how busy you are, I'm starting to feel suffocated. It's feeling harder to breathe. And she got a little shy and acknowledge that her choice maybe was having some adverse consequences. And from there, she began to explain to me a little more about why she was currently choosing what she was choosing. And it was really helpful. It gave me more information that allowed me to be more compassionate about her choice, even if that was not the choice I currently wanted to be making in my own life. So we don't share impact to change or fix another. We share impact to be in relationships. And I don't want to freak anyone out who's not ready to do this. So I want you to know that there can be steps and a good place to start is by sharing impact with ourselves, even if you're not ready to share it with another person. So there was another evening I was out with a group of women. All the women in the group were religious other than myself. And the conversation turned towards a story in which God had miraculously protected a missionary of the LDS church. And I noticed as they were sharing the story, I began to feel angry and tense. And then I felt shame. And the thoughts that started popping up were, Jenny, what is wrong with you? Why do you need to feel angry about that? You know, so they want to believe that God protected someone. So what? Why do you need to feel angry about that? And in that moment, I didn't understand my anger, right? I felt confused and I felt conflicted. I attempted honoring my anger, but the shame and conflict didn't dissipate. And I didn't have the courage to share my anger out loud. Well, I think I did say kind of a snarky comment. There was a little bit of energy that kind of came forward, Um, but I just pulled it right back in. And, you know, I feared that if I kept moving, it really would come out as a weapon of aggression. And so ultimately in that moment, I had a flare and then I kind of pulled back and and stayed in passivity. Um, But the good news was that this time I wasn't passive with myself. I didn't stuff it down or ignore it or pretend it didn't exist for myself. So again, here I'm trying to describe that 
We don't have to always do it with others yet. You know, ultimately we want to get there, but we start with ourselves. So I found someone who could help me better understand my anger about the situation. A trusted person who wasn't going to fuel it as a weapon of judgment, but someone who could help me understand how my anger in this moment could benefit me. Because ultimately all of our feelings are feelings for us about us. So even if there are situations where we're not yet ready to share impact out loud and experience relationship, you know, out there, we can practice acknowledging impact to ourselves. And this helps us with one of our most important relationships, our relationship to self, which is the first place to start. So that's secret number one is sharing impact. Ultimately, to have the kind of connection relationship we want to have, we've got to be able to do it. (sighs) Okay, deep breath. Secret number two, explore and release judgment. So the reason that secret number one or sharing impact may not go so well is often underneath it is judgment. Judgment that what the other person is doing is good or bad, right or wrong, right? So we share impact, but we do it with this energy of you are wrong. And while judging another does not make us a bad person, what it does do if we get stuck there is it blocks the experience of connection. It keeps us in that masking space. It doesn't allow us the, the aliveness. It doesn't allow us the experience of being plugged back in. Okay, so some examples of judgment. And I want to start with a couple that actually are not religious related, just so that you really can see religion is only one area where this happens. Um, But, you know, a couple examples of judgment would be that your spouse puts uncovered leftovers in the fridge and you think, what is wrong with you? Um, Or your friend is always inviting your family to join them on expensive vacations, even though they know you don't have much money. And you start to think, God, what is wrong with them? They're so inconsiderate. They just pretend we aren't struggling. So, you know, those would be a couple examples. Some religious examples would be, you know, you you find out some upsetting information about the LDS religion or any other religion you grew up in. And when your family doesn't want to hear that information, you think those ignorant little, do they just want to live in a bubble forever? Or the Mormon church should be more accepting of those who are gay and lesbian. Um, another example would be the church robs people. My friends continue to pay tithing even though they're struggling financially. Ah, what is wrong with the church, right? With the assumption there, the judgment there that something's wrong with them. They're bad, they're wrong. It's just so awful. My parents spend so much time in their church calling that they don't get to be with their grandchildren. And underneath that, the judgment is it's bad, it's wrong. So just like feelings, judgments are always information for us about us. So judgments are a really beautiful thing, especially when we learn how to harness the power of judgment. But uh, for a lot of us, we use it as a weapon. The reality is that really what's going on is it's so difficult and vulnerable to sit with intense emotion, even, even quote, pleasant emotions. And judgment or making meaning out of something is one of the ways we seek to avoid the intensity of what we're feeling. So while there is a place for assessment in our own lives and in our relationships, judgment as it is often used does not help us or the relationship until we're willing to explore it. Often judgment comes up as a protection in a relationship that doesn't yet feel fully safe or in a relationship where we don't yet know how to express all parts of ourselves. And again, this isn't just our relationship with other people. It's often our relationship with ourselves. So we judge ourselves. We judge others because our relationships don't feel fully safe yet. We don't feel fully safe yet with ourselves. We don't yet feel fully fully safe with others. And so again, the judgment can be like a flag being raised to let us know that we're feeling something and we're not quite sure how to acknowledge the feeling and sort it through. So there's really no need to shame ourselves when we are judging. But again, what we can do is notice it, acknowledge it, 
and then use it to better understand ourselves and our own desires and where we are misaligned with what we want in life. So even though we're not going into more details here, hopefully it gives you some ideas. Um, you know, underneath the judgment is information. And if we're willing to get that information and release the judgment, that's where we get to experience again, connection and intimacy with ourselves and another. So when we're sharing impact, if we can show up from a place of, and maybe we even say it, I'm feeling judgmental here. So that's actually been something I've done in one of my friendships. One day I noticed I was feeling judgmental as we were having a conversation. And I just said, I'm noticing judgment come up right now as you're saying that. And she was someone that I could go deeper with. And so we were able to talk about what my judgment was about and what it was really about for me. And it, man, it takes a a brave person to sit with us in that. But as I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, oh, I feel plugged. I feel that's being plugged back in. Like those are relationships. Those are moments of connection. And if you're not there yet, it's okay. Where you are right now is exactly where you need to be because it's where you are. There's no other place you could be. Just start here. There's a poem by Rumi, and it says, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other, doesn't make any sense. Rightdoing and wrongdoing has its place. It helps us to sort through certain things for ourselves in our life. But there's this bigger space. There's a more expansive place to go. All right, secret number three. It takes two. The third secret to having happy, healthy relationships, even when beliefs are different, is that it takes two. I have been in more than one relationship situation where I believed that if I could just do everything right, I could make the relationship what I wanted it to be. That somehow I'd be able to do my part and their part. But the reality is that a relationship with another is two people, and you can only go as deep as both people are able and willing to go. But the really good news is this doesn't mean that it's not worth doing your part because something really powerful happens when we do our part to explore and release judgment. We do our part to share impact. There's something about that process that releases the tension for us and it gives us space to allow them to be where they are, knowing at some point they may be inspired by something in their life to show up more deeply and more able and more willing Or they may not. But either way, there's a sort of movement towards acceptance, which really ultimately creates a space that intimacy can grow into if that is ever going to happen. And it's tricky when we're holding on to the form of relationships. And by the form, I mean, you know, when a relationship is a marriage or when we have beliefs about what a parent should be or shouldn't be. And we have the form of, you know, a parent-child relationship or a spouse relationship or a sibling relationship And what we ultimately start to see is that all relationships are just relationships. And we may or may not be able to maintain the same kind of contact with someone we love that maybe in our mind we want to, um, or we may want to really hold on to that form of relationship. You know, we may really be afraid to let go and let the process move us because what if it changes the form? What if we stop being best friends? What if we stop being spouses? What if we stop seeing each other as, you know, siblings in the way I always wanted to see someone as my sibling, the story I had about it. And so, you know, I want to, I want to acknowledge that I honor that this part is really tricky because we believe if we can just control it all and we can do it all, if the other person's not able to or willing to yet, then we can hold on to the form of the relationship that we wanted and or the story of how we always thought it would be. And going through the grieving process can be really scary and intense 
but you know again ultimately in my experience of watching clients now for 10 years and going through the process myself is that there's really nothing else that matters because otherwise we're living a life of numbness and kind of deadness and so to be alive and to face reality as it is means acknowledging that sometimes the other person is not yet going to be ready to do their part to go deeper with us and that doesn't mean that they'll never be ready we have no idea whether they will or won't but all we can do is do our part and start to feel the clarity that comes from that and start to move through the process of adjusting the relationship if needed or enjoying the relationship as it is and it becomes a lot more clear if you're doing your part in fact all you need to do is your part to get your clarity so to do a recap Secret number one, share impact. Secret number two, explore and release judgment. And secret number three, it takes two. I'm adding in an edited side note here. I actually recorded this podcast a couple days ago. And since then, I've really been feeling a longing to explain more. And so I've thought, well, I explained the principles on the podcast, but is that going to make sense? I'm worried it'll be misconstrued as just like stuffing things down or ignoring the frustration and the anger and the hurt. And so I've been wanting to add an example. And something came up this morning that I thought would be a perfect one to use because it was very triggering to me. And so I thought, perfect, that can be when I can actually get on the podcast and show you the process of going through it in real time. And so even though I've only seen this quote now three times. I pulled it up twice this morning and I just reread it again. It's actually already neutralizing for me, so I don't I don't feel as many emotions around it, but I can still explain the process that I went through. And so I saw it posted on a couple of groups, and it was a quote from Jeffrey Holland in a devotional that was given April 29th in Tempe, Arizona. And I'm just going to read the quote. Don't you dare bail. I'm so furious with people who leave this church. I don't know whether furious is a good apostolic word, but I am. What on earth kind of conviction is that? What kind of patty cake taffy pole experience is that? As if none of this ever mattered. As if nothing in our contemporary life mattered. As if this is all just supposed to be just exactly the way I want it and answer every one of my questions and pursue this and occupy that and defy this and then maybe I'll be a Latter-day Saint. Well, there's too much Irish in me for that. So for those of you listening, some of you may have feelings about this. Some of you may have already had feelings about this if you're on Facebook groups and have seen it. Um, Some of you might feel totally neutral. Uh, So as I'm reading it, you might have a variety of experiences. As I'm reading it this time, I'm feeling a little bit of like a numbing sensation going through the front of my legs. But that's a lot different than what I felt the first time I read it, which I can kind of remember as I think back to it, which was like a feeling of not being able to breathe. I felt like I was kind of choking more in my chest than my throat. But it was like I couldn't get a deep breath. I was kind of in shock, actually, as I read it. I was like, reread it because I was trying to figure out, is the person who posted this actually quoting Jeffrey Holland? And in a little bit of shock that something like this would be said, even though this perspective isn't totally unusual for people who are active in the LDS church. But I I was like, I had a lot of numbness going on when I first read it. Like my arms literally just kind of went numb. Maybe the blood going right to my core. I'm not exactly sure, but it it was especially hard to take a deep breath. I opened it up one more time before I started doing the editing. And then again, just to make sure I could pull it up here on my phone. And it's funny, I actually did quite a bit of processing pretty quickly. And so it's, it's already shifted quite a bit. 
the example here is I talk about the three secrets to happy, healthy relationships, even when beliefs are different. You know, so the first example would be to share impact. Wow. When I read that quote that was spoken at the devotional, I felt like I couldn't get a deep breath. And I just felt my arms and legs go numb. I felt confused. I felt a little shocked. I noticed an anger start to rise under that. That was where I started going with it initially. And so an example would be, you know, to share impact, maybe starting with yourself. Or if, you know, you're having a conversation with another person about it, you would let them know, here's what I experienced when I heard that. Now for you, the experience might be totally different. You know, that's just my experience when I read it. Um, But this is an example of sharing impact. And we can just take a lot of deep breaths around it. Okay, so when I'm sharing impact, I'm not saying that his perspective is bad or wrong. I'm just saying when I heard what he had said, this is what I felt about it. So the confusion, the shock, and then the anger that started to bubble up. When we go into that second secret of exploring and releasing judgment, what I'm looking at here is, wow, there's a part of me that's shocked, right? So the thought or the judgment is, I cannot believe someone would say something like that. Another judgment is those little fuckers, right? So the anger, and then there's the hurt, the feeling misunderstood. And I can feel that as I'm kind of sitting with what the anger was really all about. So there's a lot of people who say a lot of ignorant things and it doesn't necessarily bother us. So why did this bother me when I heard it this morning? And what is my judgment about? Because ultimately that's information for me about me. So one of the things that that judgment is about is that in a way it's a mirror of how much weight I've put on this person's words, how I've allowed them to be an authority in my life, right? So the misunderstanding feels so shocking and so literally numbing because it's a reflection of the kind of power I gave to this person. And again, there's no shaming that. There's nothing wrong with it. It was all I knew at the time. I trusted this person to even know more than me. And so I get to just take a deep breath with all of this anxiety and with all of this judgment, with all of this anger, and I get to use all of that emotion to start to draw my power back to myself. And even though I've been out of the church for a few years now, I get to say, I no longer give you my power. You have every right to your perspective and your opinions And I can respect you as a human being the way I'd respect anyone I was holding a door for at a store or something like that. But I don't need to give your words any more weight than I give anybody else's words. I'm done with that, right? So this actually becomes a moment where I get to start to release myself more and more from a trap that I've allowed myself to be in without knowing And again, there can be so many threads of this that stuff can pop up years later sometimes, but every time it does, it just becomes a chance to say, oh, I get to move more now. I get to use this anger, this judgment, this sadness, this hurt to release myself more, to change more, to move more. My guess is if I were to sit with him, if I were to sit with Jeffrey Holland, he were to come to my therapy office and he were to say, I'm so furious. All these people are leaving the Mormon church. This is where we come into... Secret number three, it takes two people. I mean, right now, he's not doing this with us. He's not here to really explain his perspective. And so I'm just totally going off the cuff. And so if he were to come into my office and say, I'm feeling so furious, all these people are just leaving the church. Like, it doesn't even matter to them. They're just picking and choosing what they want. What kind of testimony is that? And I would say, okay, tell me a little bit about what it's like to feel furious. What do you experience when you're furious? Because if he were to tap down into his own emotion about what he's feeling... 
My guess is it's a mirror about something in his life, somewhere where he maybe hasn't committed to something the way he ultimately deeply wants to. And so as we're going through this process, you know, it's hard to give other people their feelings because we feel like their feelings really do entrap us or keep us stuck or keep our family angry at us or, you know, whatever it might be. But the truth is no one has power over our lives unless we give them power. And our family might still be buying into their words and giving them authority. And so that's all information about how to um, still honor and love, again, our family or the people we care about, but how to adjust the way we're relating with them and the levels of intimacy and what we're trusting them with. If we're frustrated that our family is still believing someone's authority when those words are so painful, you know, that's good information that, that while we can continue to love whomever that is that's still holding that person as, as an authority or who's holding those words as truth, you know, while we can still care about and honor that person, it's good information that maybe we're giving too much of our own trust and intimacy than we should be right now. And maybe we need to, again, draw that back in and redirect it towards somewhere else where there can actually be a space to be seen and understood. And maybe down the road in a year or two years or 10 years or 15 years, that person who is giving weight to Jeff Holland's words or any other person's words in a way that feels hurtful to us, maybe they'll see it differently. Maybe their perspective will have shifted because they'll have had life experiences that give them better understanding. And it doesn't mean it's not painful to go through the grieving of letting go and adjusting things and working it all out. But the anger that we feel, the judgment that we feel is information for us about us to get our power back. And it's also important that we use that information to get ourselves into a space where we can really be safe. So hopefully, hopefully that example gave you a little bit more information that this isn't just an easy process of like, oh, let it all slide off your back. Just let go of judgment. Like, no, 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 no. Like feel what you're feeling, experience the impact, share it with yourself, share it with others, and then use that experience to bring back where you've given something up where, you know, anger is a, an emotion of change and movement. I mean, it can turn into toxic anger that becomes violent and self-harming or harming of others. But it can also be this really powerful emotion for self-growth and evolution and change where we can say, wow, I'm, I'm done with that. Thank you for what you taught me. I don't need that anymore. And we get to just keep going deeper and deeper into ourselves and becoming more and more of who we are and expressing that on the outside in the world we live in, in our work, in our relationships, in our use of time, in our use of money, in our use of love. It's everything. And if you feel yourself holding on or resisting any of these ideas, if you're like, oh, but I just, if I let go of judgment, if I, if I share impact, if I open up, oh, you know, and there's all these stories and all these fears, and ultimately you have to be compassionate to yourself and you can't move any faster than you're ready to go. And if you force yourself too fast and you get injured, you know, that's not usually super helpful. So get the supports you need, but ultimately doing your part and moving yourself forward will plug you back into your life. And it's the most powerful experience that I've ever had. I don't know what's more powerful and I don't maintain it all the time, but the skills and going through the process makes a difference because it gives you tools through which to just keep practicing, keep practicing, and you'll feel it over and over. Every time you plug back in, you're like, oh my God, there I am. And when you plug back in and feel yourself, it's just, it's valuable experience. It's valuable enough that you just become more and more willing to do your part. So 
Here's to all of you who are longing for happier, healthy relationships with those who believe differently. It really is possible. I hope you get a chance to go to www.askanexmormontherapist.com, download the PDF, sit with it, and if you have any questions, write them in, exmormontherapist at gmail.com. I'm super excited to keep answering letters. If you love this podcast, get on iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. It's super helpful to start building the podcast and helping people find it. And here's to happier, healthy relationships. Mm-hmm.